You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, In the mid-1980s, when it became possible to get tested for the newly discovered virus, the human immunodeficiency virus that had already killed thousands of gay men and would go on to kill millions of people all over the world, gay, straight, and bi, I got my first HIV test. My boyfriend at the time insisted. I didn't want to do it. I was a little older than he was, and I'd been sexually active for a little bit longer, and my timing was terrible. The New York Times ran its first story about what would become the AIDS crisis in July of 1981. That story had the famous headline, Rare Cancer Seen in 41 Homosexuals. I'd come out a month earlier that same summer. A few years later, as more guys were getting sick and dying, my boyfriend grew increasingly afraid. And he had every right to be afraid. I was afraid, too. We were all afraid. I was afraid I was already infected. And I was afraid what it would mean to know that I was. The first HIV test became available in 1985. Back then, you had to wait months for your test results, and there was no cure. Finding out you had HIV was like being told there was a ticking time bomb inside you that would go off sometime in the next two years. But unlike a time bomb, which would kill you swiftly and relatively mercifully, this viral time bomb, when it went off, was going to kill you slowly and painfully. And there was nothing anyone could do to help you. There was no cure, no treatment, no vaccine. So many guys were testing positive back then in the mid-1980s and killing themselves after getting their results that mandatory counseling was required to get an HIV test. It was nice to know after everything that happened between July of 1981 and the fall of 1985, after hearing so many hateful things said by religious conservatives, the moral majority as they called themselves then, they were, the moral majority, delighted to see us die It was nice to know when the mandatory counseling was imposed that there were some people out there who didn't want us to die. I kept telling my boyfriend I would get tested and then putting it off. And finally, my boyfriend threatened to break up with me if I didn't go get tested. And I made the appointment. A couple of weeks later, I was sitting in a small office at a gay health clinic in my college town with a very nice woman, my HIV testing counselor, who asked me if I had anything I wanted to live for. And I said, I wanted to outlive Queen Elizabeth II, not because I hated her, not because I wanted to see her dead, but because I was curious, I guess, literally morbidly curious. I've always been obsessed with royalty for the history, not the gossip. Back then, the gossip was all about Charles and Diana and Andrew and Fergie. Now the gossip is about William and Kate and Meghan and Harry and Andrew. Oh, and the new British prime minister, if you want to read some really hot gossip, Search Liz Truss Daycaller on Twitter. But it wasn't the gossip that obsessed me. I was obsessed then, and I still am, with the Tudors and the Stuarts, with gossip so old it had become history. The English Civil War, the Glorious Revolution, not ours, theirs, the Hanoverian succession. People who listen to my show are sometimes surprised by just how boring I can be at parties. And this history that fascinates me is a history that I recognize is stained by colonialism, slavery, racism, and empire, just like our history is. The woman who is about to approve me for an HIV test, when that came out of my mouth, I want to outlive Queen Elizabeth II, she looked at me like I was crazy, and maybe I was, and maybe I still am, but all I really wanted at that moment, besides not getting dumped, was to live long enough to see what would happen after Elizabeth II died. Would Charles become king? Would he keep the name Charles? Would the British monarchy, that archaic institution, somehow survive into the 21st century? He would. He did. It has. I lived long enough to find out. Now, anyone who listens to this show knows that I'm a fan of democracy and that I'm very concerned about the threat the Republican Party poses to our democracy and knows I am outraged right now and always have been by the anti-democratic elements baked into our political system, the U.S. Senate, the Electoral College, and anti-democratic outrages like gerrymandering and voter suppression. But 
I am also a little bit of a monarchist. Seems to me hereditary monarchy, constitutional hereditary monarchy, not incompatible with liberal democracy. When you think of a lot of countries, lefties like to point to as models, countries with decent housing policies, socialized medicine, better sex education, mass transit, bicycle infrastructure, humane prisons, Holland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Spain, Belgium, all monarchies. Yes, Saudi Arabia too. Not a constitutional monarchy. No system is perfect. But as we've seen in Hungary and Brazil and the United States and Russia, it's authoritarians who are a threat to democracy. No hereditary monarchs required. I was negative, by the way, way back then when I got my test results. Still am. Not negative because I did everything right. I was pretty religious about using condoms to avoid HIV, but not perfect. Guys I know who were just as careful as I was got infected. Some died. Most, in the end, though, lived. There's still no vaccine or cure, but there are effective treatments. That said, people are still dying of HIV. If you want to see an example of the real legacy of colonialism and empire and racism, don't look to the people in funny costumes in London announcing the new king, Charles III. Look to HIV death rates around the world. According to the World Health Organization, 650,000 people died of HIV in 2021. The annual death rate from HIV has fallen by nearly two-thirds from its peak in 2004. It's fallen by 68%. But hundreds of thousands of people die every year, mostly poor people, mostly in Africa, mostly in countries, some created by colonial powers, that remain impoverished because of slavery, racism, colonialism, and empire. The fact is no one has to die of HIV anymore. Those treatments that are available now make it possible for someone with HIV to live a normal lifespan. Those same treatments make it impossible for someone with HIV to infect anyone else with HIV. And there's PrEP, a daily medication that protects HIV negative people from getting infected with the virus. But these treatments, these medicines are expensive and unavailable to Many people in poor countries who need them, unavailable to many people in our own country who are poor and need them. When he was president, Barack Obama said housing and good schools and health care were the, quote, best reparations we could provide for the descendants of slaves living in the United States. And he meant at the time the best reparations we could provide for political reasons at the time he was president. He was talking about what was possible, not what was right. Seems to me that making HIV medication and PrEP as widely available in Africa as they are in the West, not the best reparations that could be provided to people living in countries still recovering from colonialism and empire and slavery and racism, but a form reparations could take. Finally, we were reminded last week that just like in 1985, when I was getting my HIV test and Queen Elizabeth was still alive, there are people in the United States who want gay people to die. A federal judge in Texas appointed by George W. Bush, once our worst president ever, now second worst, that federal judge ruled that companies cannot be required under the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, to include PrEP in their health insurance benefits. The plaintiff in the case, a conservative Christian business owner in Texas, argued that including pre-exposure prophylaxis of preventative medicine facilitates and encourages homosexual behavior, intervenous drug use, and sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman, and this violated somehow his religious freedom. The decision by this federal judge puts all preventative care covered by the ACA at risk, not just PrEP, but cancer screenings, mammograms, drug and alcohol abuse counseling, and yes, contraception too. Appeals are expected. The Supreme Court will probably get involved in the end. And yeah, not confident about how that's going to end. What can we do about it? We can vote. You can vote. I know I'm a broken record on this, but you can and should vote for people who will appoint better judges. Vote for Democrats, big D Democrats, even imperfect ones, even ones who will or may have already disappointed you somehow. Because the judges they'll appoint, judges we'll have to live with for a very long time, this judge in Texas appointed in 2007, those judges appointed by Republicans, they don't just want to disappoint you. They want to see you and me dead. We're not going to give them that. We're going to outvote them, and together, we're going to outlive them. 
All right, coming up on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, uh, what you got with Italian sex researcher Camilla Cheney on her groundbreaking research on monkeys using tools. Not the first time monkeys and other animals have been observed using tools, but the first time they've been identified using tools as toys, sex toys. And speaking of sex toys, also for Magnum subscribers this week, we have a new sex and politics with Jen Mason, the owner of Wink Wink, the not creepy sex shop in Bellingham, Washington, that came under fire from right-wingers over their sex ed classes and the fact that they are an all-ages sex shop. And in Savage Love, my column this week, a straight relationship that sounds more like a police state and that may not be a straight relationship at all. And a moving note from a reader who always cries after sex. Be sure to read my column right after you finish listening to this week's Savage Lovecast. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SAVAGE. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Today's Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Me Undies, high quality, super comfortable, good looking undies. Get 20% off your first order when you go to meundies.com slash savage. Hey Dan, I'm a tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a bisexual woman in my early 30s, currently in a seven year relationship with a straight man. For the past year or so, I've had an increasingly strong desire to be with women, which has caused a rift in our otherwise solid relationship. My partner has no interest in being open and believes strongly in being strictly monogamous. I should also say that until I was 25 or so, I thought I was gay, so falling in love with him came as a surprise to me, and this is my first serious relationship with a man. So my question is, is this something I should break up with him over? I can't imagine going the rest of my life without being able to act on my desire to be with other women. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that you should break up with your boyfriend over. Seven years is a lot to toss aside. I would, you know, if I could jump in a time machine, sidle up to you after a year or encourage you to call me after a year uh, and unpack this. Because seven years is a, a lot to walk away from. You've made an enormous emotional investment in this man and this relationship. But you're not, you're clearly, hence the call, not willing to pay this price of admission forever, meaning no pussy for you forever. You're not ever going to get to be with a woman again so long as you're with him. And so, yeah, if you want to flip who's paying the price here, you can go to him and say, look, for the last seven years, I was willing to pay the price of admission, be monogamous, not ever get to sleep with women to be with you, but I've come to realize that that's not a price submission I'm willing to pay anymore. I can't pay that price for the rest of my life. So if we stay together, you're going to have to pay the price of admission at some point or now going forward. You're going to have to, to be with me. If you want to be with me, you're going to have to make an allowance. I'm going to need an accommodation that allows me to pursue sex with other women. And then that becomes a conversation about what that looks like. Is there a way to structure that that makes him feel more comfortable? You know, is what he's concerned about, is you falling in love with somebody else and leaving him? You know, of course, he runs the risk of getting left if you can't ever sleep with another woman. You're contemplating leaving him for that reason. Is there a way to... Uh, address his anxiety, work with that fear by, you know, your selection of other women to sleep with. You're only going to sleep with women who have partners. You're only going to sleep with women when you're out of town. You're not going to sleep with women. You're not going to date anybody. These will be hookups and one-offs. Maybe you'll only seek out women who are bi but heteroromantic and already have male partners. No lesbian hookups 
for you? You know, is there a way for you to go out there and get some pussy that's going to make him feel less insecure or threatened? If that's the issue, if it's just an issue, if nobody else gets to touch my girlfriend, that we are 100% sexually exclusive, you don't touch anybody else with your genitals, nobody else touches you with their genitals, nobody makes you come but me, nobody makes me come but you. If he's that kind of monogamous, well, yeah, you guys aren't right for each other. You are sexually incompatible. Yeah, maybe this relationship is over that you so casually toss out there that you might have to end the relationship over this kind of makes me think it might be over that you've already made a decision that it's over. If you're looking for support, if you're looking for somebody to back you up on this being a valid reason to end a relationship, well, I'm here to do that. This is a perfectly valid reason to end this relationship. You don't want the same thing he wants sexually. That's the er overarching issue here. You are sexually incompatible. And people who are sexually incompatible, yeah, sometimes they can make it work long-term, but sexually incompatible people in a sexually exclusive relationship very rarely can make it work over the long-term. Hi, Dan. I've been married in a heterosexual relationship for about 13 years. And only recently have I been able to start advocating for my pleasure. I'm kind of a late bloomer in masturbating and uh, using toys on my own. And finally brought up the courage to tell my husband that I wanted him to prioritize my pleasure in bed. We've been having a really long, dry spell. He is feeling insecure because he feels like he doesn't pleasure me and wants me to tell him what I like and don't like. And I'm just, I guess because of Catholic upbringing, I'm just having a really hard time expressing that. But I'm doing a lot of masturbating. I'm doing a lot of reading and listening to erotic podcasts, things like that, and just getting in touch with myself and trying to bring my whole self to the relationship in the conversation where I finally was able to ask my husband to prioritize my pleasure rather than focusing on what he wants, even though he has been asking me to tell him what I want. He still seems overly concerned with my expression of pleasure as something that, you know, satisfies his need and makes him hard and makes him feel good and makes him feel like a confident lover. I've asked him to go to sex school online and try to figure out ways to pleasure women. I feel like he's always been sort of like a one-sided lover. But in the conversation where I told him I hadn't had an orgasm in our marriage in 13 years, and I felt like that needed to be a priority, he told me that he, even though he's ejaculated pretty much nearly every time we've had sex, and I mentioned that, like, you've had the orgasms, I haven't, he told me that I knew nothing about male orgasms and that even though he's ejaculated, that does not necessarily mean that he's had an orgasm and that he hasn't just been having a ton of pleasure or orgasms either and that I don't know anything about male orgasms. I feel like maybe this is completely bullshit. I felt like I knew what a male orgasm was and now I'm sitting here doubting myself and googling this it sounds insane for me to be questioning this but because I just feel like I'm maybe being gaslit and I just the the shock of him saying that is just kind of throwing me off where it's, he seems to be taking my issue and making it his issue I just thought that I would ask you to weigh in honest to god what I was thinking the entire time I listened to your question was I hope there's no mention of children and there wasn't because 
what I wanted to tell you after listening to most of your question and then when I began to root for no kids, no kids, no kids, was to divorce this man-child with the easily bruised ego who's been telling you throughout your entire marriage that he wants you to tell him how to give you pleasure, how to prioritize your pleasure, but only within the constraints of shit that makes his dick hard and gets him off. And you have indeed the last 13 years been getting this guy off unless you were accidentally milking his prostate or accidentally giving him ruined orgasms, which is a thing the kinksters sometimes do. Uh, yeah, he's been having orgasms. He's been blowing loads. His ego was wounded. You don't mention whether or not during the entire 13 years you've been together, you were faking orgasms. I assume that you were or could have been often uh, female copulatory vocalizations, uh, women making noise, uh, 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 help get a man closer. And a lot of women will engage in that sort of behavior, not, you know, from a dishonest or manipulative point, but, you know, they want their partner to get off, not even just to get it over with, but to enhance their partner's pleasure. And he may have read those noises you might've been making as orgasms and you may have indeed faked orgasms. And so hearing after 13 years that you never gave your wife an orgasm, not even once, uh, you could see how that might wound his ego. You can see how that might inspire him to turn around and say, well, you never gave me an orgasm either, but you were giving him orgasms. Milking someone's prostate is a varsity level sex skill. That's not something you do by accident. It's also not something you do unless you're crawling up inside your husband's ass with some fingers or toys. A ruined orgasm, which is when you Bring a man to the point of orgasmic inevitability, my favorite phrase, which I somehow always have to say like pigs in space, the point of orgasmic inevitability. Yeah, that's really intentional. You really have to be reading someone's dick and that's still an orgasm. It's just an orgasm where you get a guy to the point of orgasmic inevitability where the cum is going to fly out of his dick, whether or not you continue to stimulate him and you withdraw all stimulation and what a guy has at that moment with a ruined orgasm is an orgasm, but without the usual accompanying waves of sexual pleasure that come with the stimulation continuing through the orgasm. So yeah, odds that you were accidentally milking his prostate, odds that you were accidentally giving him ruined orgasms, I would say zero. So he's been coming this whole time. If he reacted in anger uh, and because he felt like he'd been lied to for 13 years by you and so he lied to you in retaliation and he can calm down about that and have a rational conversation about what happened and why he had the infantile reaction that he had when you finally did what he'd been asking you to do this entire time, which was talk about how to pleasure you, let him know how to pleasure you, and you can back way the fuck up and have a constructive conversation about your sex life and what it might look like going forward so it was as pleasurable for you as it was for him. Sometimes we talk about centering pleasure, you know, centering a woman's pleasure. Well, during sex, you want to center both partners or all partners pleasures and they may be times when you're having sex that's entirely about his pleasure and his pleasure is centered and times when you're having sex where your pleasure is centered or times during the a, a solo you know a discrete sex act and times during one you know sex session where whose pleasure is being centered at any given moment kind of shifts back and forth rarely despite the way heterosexual sex is portrayed in porn and in film on television, rarely do two people have simultaneous orgasms. It's almost always the case that someone is getting close, about to get off. The other person sort of throws themselves into whatever needs doing to get their partner off. And then it's their turn. Usually right away, the favor is returned right away, or uh, maybe a little breather, maybe some ice cream, maybe some butterscotch pudding, and then the favor is returned. And 
you know, if he came first and his pleasure was being centered at that moment so that he could get off, then maybe after a breather, a little bit, give him a little time, a little refractory period break, he comes at you in such a way that you want him to come at you with the toys you want him to come at you with and centers your pleasure and gets you off. Also, you know, one of the superpowers, if you're a woman who can have more than one orgasm, is for him to get you off, give you an orgasm, center your pleasure, and then for the focus to shift and you to center his pleasure and get him off after you've already had an orgasm, and then maybe you get a bonus orgasm after then. If you guys can work together constructively on this, you can make it work. But if your husband, and this is why I was happy to hear you had no kids, or maybe you do, but you didn't mention them, but I'm hoping you don't have kids. If your husband is one of those men who is so insecure by a woman's capacity for sexual pleasure and that her capacity for sexual pleasure isn't all about what his dick does to her, that he can't do for you, that he can't ever focus on your pleasure center, your pleasure, and he's going to be an infantile brat and insist you never made him come despite all the ejaculatory evidence to the contrary. Yeah, you might want to divorce his ass and go find other guys, better guys, who will sometimes want their pleasure centered, but will also be willing during those same sex sessions at other times to center your pleasure. If your butt could only talk. Oh my God. If your butt could talk, that would be amazing. I would definitely have your butt on my show as a guest. And I'm thinking the first thing your butt would tell me if your butt was a guest on this show is that your butt wants a pair of me undies. Me undies, makers of the most buttery, soft, and sustainable undies, bralettes, and socks in existence. If you've never tried them before, if your butt hasn't had the pleasure, it is a great time to start because they're currently offering their best deal in years. Get 20% off your first order with free standard shipping and free returns when you go to meundies.com slash savage. I love the feel of my me undies, undies and t-shirts. I especially love their lounge pants. I love the look of MeUndies on both my husband, who likes the boxer briefs, and my boyfriend, who likes the briefs. They offer a variety of patterns and styles, from the staid and stodgy solid colors that I require, I am boring, to the ever-changing whimsical prints that my husband prefers. This month, it's Cats in Space, which the folks at NASA probably don't find funny right now, but literally everybody else does. Seriously, the fabric MeUndies makes their undies, socks, and bralettes from feel as if they were spun from silken clouds. They're guaranteed to be the softest stuff you've ever felt in your life. Their signature micromodal fabric is sustainable, breathable, and stretchy. Available in sizes XS to 4XL. They have new colors and prints dropping weekly, so there's always something exciting to check out. Try their free-to-join membership for free shipping on every order with exclusive perks like an item shipped to your door every month, secret sales, and early access to their newest stuff. So to get 20% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, that's 20% off your first order, go to meundies.com slash savage. Your butt will thank you. Maybe if your butt's a guest on the Lovecast right here on the show, your butt will thank you. That's meundies.com slash savage. Hi Dan, I'm a 34-year-old cis gay man from Germany and I have a question for you considering free sexuality. I'm in a relationship with my boyfriend for one and a half years and since you were talking about it in one of your past episodes, I think I might be free sexual myself. In the beginning of our relationship, we were quite sexual and we had a lot of sex. I was totally into him, I was initiating sex, but now I I don't feel like that anymore. And it's been an issue in my past relationships as well, that usually my sex drive fades the longer I'm together with my boyfriend. I've raised this issue with my boyfriend and talked to him about free sexuality, but he doesn't really believe it's a thing. So yeah, first part of my question is, how do we actually know it's a thing? And the second part of my question is, what can I do now? I mean, I'm a bit stuck here. I'm just realizing that that is a pattern in my relationships. I've raised this topic with my boyfriend. Obviously, he's not very happy about it. He he would love to have more sex with me, but 
yeah, it's hard for me because I don't feel drawn to him anymore as much as I did in the beginning of our relationship. I love him. We are happy together. But our sex drive, or at least mine, is just gone. We know that asexuality is a real thing because the data is in. The research has been done. Frequent guest Dr. Lori Brodo is responsible for a lot of that research at the University of British Columbia. I don't think I could do a summary of it here. I'm not sure off the top of my head. I recall how you test for or measure the prevalence of asexuality in any given population, but it's a real thing. And it is a real thing that we first became aware of because people began to identify as asexuals. And then the sexual researchers, after some doubters like me, expressed doubt about this concept, rushed in to do the research and assure us that it is real. People have begun to identify as frasexual. I think it's a name that's been attached to uh, a pattern that a lot of people observed in themselves or their sex partners where there was the closer they got to somebody, the more in love with them they were, the more time they spent together, the more intimate the relationship became, the less sexually attracted to their partner that they were. Now, this is a thing I think happens in a lot of long-term relationships. There is often, after decades together, a kind of siblingification of relationships where it, the intimacy begins to swamp the eroticism. For eroticism to exist, it does require some distance. As uh, famously Esther Perel said, to, to desire is to want, and it can be difficult to want what you have. And if you're with somebody and committed to them and married to them and living with them, you have them. How do you want that? How do you rejigger things? How do you, you know, twiddle all the knobs so that there is still some gap between you, some space between you that has to be bridged with wanting and desire and longing. And for a lot of people that a lot of people in relationships that can be done, but some people that can't be done. And the drop off, not quite the siblingification, but the drop off in desire tends to come a lot sooner. And I think it's those people who've begun to use Frasexual got their own pride flag and began to identify as frasexuals to describe their experiences in sexual and romantic relationships where there's a lot of desire at the outset and then that tanks, not after 10 years of marriage and the stress of children, that tanks after six months, nine months, a year, after moving in together, after people start saying, I love you to each other. What do you do with that? If that is how you function erotically and caller that sounds like you're a er example kind of phrase sexual you're a textbook not that the textbooks on phrase sexuality have been written yet i don't think they have but you're a kind of a textbook phrase sexual you met him you wanted to fuck him you fell in love with him you don't feel that pull anymore all right how do you control for that how do you make your partner happy well you could go through the motions. You could have a lot of sex that you weren't necessarily that into. You could take one for the team over and over and over again for the next, I don't know, 50 years that you're together until one of you dies of at an advanced old age. Or, you know, one of the advantages of being gay, you can create other accommodations and outlets that allow for you two to be together, to love each other, to be each other's romantic partners, life partners, and for you both to seek sex that's exciting and you know a lot of variety and new outside the relationship. You know, if you can go out and have sex with other people and feel affirmed and feel desirable and feel erotic and then come home to you and feel loved and cared for and seen and taken care of, maybe that would make your partner happy. But that's not going to make your partner happy if what he wants is everything in one guy. Where he's desired by his romantic partner, his life partner, his boyfriend, fucked by his romantic partner, life partner, boyfriend, and also gets to live with him and be intimate with him and casual with him and easy with him. If he wants that all in one guy, you may not be the guy that he can have that all with. He may need to go find some other guy. And if he does, and if you find yourself single again, 
knowing this about yourself, embracing phrase sexuality as an identity, even in advance of the researcher studies coming in to show that it's a real sexual orientation, you already got the pride flag, you don't have to wait necessarily for the research and data. I think you have an obligation to your future partners and to yourself to disclose this. There are guys out there who want loving, committed relationships, but want total sexual freedom and don't necessarily, you know, after that initial burst of new relationship energy and, you know, can't wait to drink a gallon of this new guy's spit and whatever else, who will want, you know, basically a companionate relationship, maybe with a little bit of sex around the edges, maybe, you know, grooving every once in a while on each other during a three-way with somebody else there to heighten the experience, but for the most part, want sex with other people and a lover and partner that they can come back to at home. I've known a lot of gay couples that go out on sexual adventures together, have sex with other guys together, have sex with other guys separately, but you know, roughly the same time or in the same space together and then love each other very much and go home with each other. And their expectations are aligned. And yeah, that may be what you need. You may need someone whose expectations aren't in conflict with your phrase sexuality, but in harmony with your phrase sexuality. You may need to be in a relationship in the future with someone, you know, if you can't work out something with the boyfriend you're with now, if you guys can't transition to a different kind of relationship in the future, if you're with somebody else, you may want to be with somebody who is very sexual like you. For you forward thinking business owners, you know, the holidays are slowly but steadily creeping up on us. It's smart to prepare for the season now so you can be just a little less stressed out when the orders, those holiday orders, start pouring in. Luckily, Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life a whole lot easier. It's the 24-7 post office that you can access from anywhere. No lines, no traffic, no hassle. Stamps.com is your one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs. You'll get access to the USPS and UPS services you need to run your business right from your computer. And with inflation on the rise, every dollar saved counts. Protect your margins with major discounts on USPS and UPS rates up to 86% off. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your stamps.com dashboard. And if you're running an online store, stamps.com works seamlessly with all the major shopping carts and marketplaces. Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with stamps.com today. Sign up with the promo code SAVAGE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter the code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. My question is, how many times do you give someone a chance? Talking with a new partner... We have a good relationship over text, video chatting, sexting, all that. But he won't meet me. How much longer do I do this for? Why won't he meet you? Usually when someone is wasting your time, when they're catfishing you, sending you photos, uh, trying to draw you into long, extended text message exchanges that get explicit, that are arousing, that person is basically forcing you or asking you to write erotica for them, bespoke erotica, bespoke dirty stories starring not necessarily themselves, but some idea of who they wish they were. But the fact that this guy is video chatting with you in addition to sexting with you means he's probably not, you know, he can't be using fake photographs. He can't be lying about who he is. So there's some weird disconnect here. You know who he is. You know what he looks like. You're still into him. He knows who you are, knows what you look like. He's still into you, but he wants to keep it online. And there's some reason there. You know, people who just want to swap photos that may or may not be them and get into endless DM exchanges or text exchanges, they just want, you know, those exciting text messages. That's all they want from you. They never want to meet. They can't meet because they aren't who they've represented themselves to be, fake photographs, they've lied, 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 lied. 
But video chatting, that's not a fake photograph unless he's using some very high-end AI technology to create videos in the moment. Uh, no, no, that, that, that's who he is. So there's some reason. Maybe he's married. Maybe he's not where he has led you to believe he is in the world and meeting isn't possible and he doesn't want to tell you that yet. But there's some reason that he is now, not initially, but now wasting your time and frustrating you because he's refusing to meet. I think if you know, you ask when the time is to call it off, when the time comes to end things with him, I think if you're frustrated enough that you've called me and then you've had to wait a week for my response to creep into your earbuds, the time has already arrived for you to tell him, look, I'm not interested in chatting anymore. I want a real-time IRL face-to-face -face meeting to see if we can start getting together. I want a real relationship. I don't want one that's entirely mediated by technology. And if you don't want that, we're not compatible. We don't want the same things. And we're going to have to go our separate ways. And this, this energy that you're currently expending on him and in the hopes of having some sort of real in-person relationship with him is energy wasted, an energy you could be expending on someone new that you met on the apps that you could swap a few messages with who does want to meet up with you in person and not just sexed with you or have dirty video chats with you, but have dirty, dirty, hot, sexy sex with you in person, in your person, on your person, near your person. Yeah, the time has come to cut this guy off, even though we don't know what's going on with him. Maybe you threatening to cut him off is going to be what he needs to hear to show the fuck up at a coffee shop and meet face to face. But if you don't just threaten, but actually cut him off and he doesn't then immediately pivot to, all right, all right, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet to block him. Don't waste another moment's thought on him. Go find a guy who wants to swap a few photos, share a few text messages, and then make a date. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, content you create, even your time. Here are just a few of the many features you'll get access to. Appointment scheduling. If your business requires booking and scheduling, Squarespace has the feature for you. Clients can easily see your availability or reschedule if needed, taking the hassle out of coordinating calendars. Email campaigns. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace. Collect email subscribers and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your spicy sauce ingredients like site colors and logo, maybe jokes... Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. And speaking of analytics, it's time to get serious. Learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. Improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Were you planning on programming all this yourself? No way you weren't. Squarespace has got you. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. I, my boyfriend and I want to engage in a bi-curious MMF threesome. And we are having such a difficult time finding a man to do this with. We have had several almosts with potential meetings and get ghosted every time. I'm just wondering, is this an impossibility? <laughs> because that's how we're feeling. You know, everyone who's still looking and hasn't found what they're looking for yet thinks it's impossible, that they'll never find it. Perfectly vanilla single women will tell you that it's impossible to find a good, decent, dateable man uh, in their age range in whatever city they live in, you'll hear that Los Angeles is a terrible place to date and San Francisco and Seattle and Portland, Chicago, wherever single people happen to be being single at any given moment, those single people will tell you, men and women, gay and straight, that it is impossible to find anyone. Then you add kink 
you know, not that I think an MMF three-way is particularly kinky, but you add that layer of kink and it, you know, increases the degree of difficulty in finding that person. People searching for vanilla romantic and sex partners will get, you know, ghosted several times in a row by people they met on an app and then it didn't go anywhere and think, oh, it's impossible. Somebody searching for a bi guy that they think is hot, that they feel good about, and that is up for, you know, attracted to both of them, you know, a couple searching for that bi guy, uh, and down for whatever, you know, you two want to put on the menu for that night, that's going to be a little bit harder to find. You'll have maybe more than several ghostings or several, you know, interactions that went nowhere. You just got to stick it out. It's not impossible the world is full of people with incredibly niche sexual interests, kinks, desires, who thanks to the internet, which is a horrible thing that's destroying democracy and fuck Mark Zuckerberg, the internet has done one really great thing. It's made it possible for people with niche sexual interests or unique and special sexual desires to find partners for an adventure for one night and also life partners for a lifetime's worth of adventures who share their niche sexual kink or desire. So yeah, it is not impossible. If you're a regular listener to this show, I'm sure you've heard calls in the past from couples or sex success stories back when we were doing those from couples who were looking for a third, uh, another woman for a WWM three-way or another man for an MMF three-way or someone into cuckolding, someone into hot wifing, someone into, you know, plushies or rubber gimp suits or crazy, crazier kinks, higher degree of difficulty kinks, more varsity level kinks. And they found those people and they didn't find them because they gave up after three interactions that went nowhere. So if this is something you and your partner, you and your boyfriend really want to experience, you're going to have to do the time. You're going to have to make the investment of, of energy and effort. And then when you find the right guy and it's going great and you're having that MMF three-way, that bicurious MMF three-way, and your boyfriend is getting to get his dick sucked by a dude for the first time or suck a dick's dude for the first time while he eats your pussy, whatever it is that you're imagining and it's happening. Yeah. The grief and the frustration of all the guys who ghosted on you is going to melt away. And all of that effort in that moment will have been so worth it. You won't even remember having made that effort because the, Beauty and joy and sexiness and pleasure of that experience is just going to erase those frustrations from your hard drives. You won't even remember having made this phone call. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Pete, the mostly pantsless tweets, we will understand if America's premier monarchy stan at Fake Dan Savage is late with the Savage Lovecast next week. Got it in on time, Pete. A little long, that intro, but on time. And to be clear, monarchy stands aren't exactly sad when kings and queens die. We're kind of fascinated. Astro Babe tweets, how about, no, I don't like people touching my face, exclamation point. A lot of people took issue with my advice for the guy who called in about non-consensual gay beard touchers. People thought I should have suggested mace or a taser. But it was the husband calling in, the non-bearded husband, and the bearded husband, the person whose face was touched without his consent, he said to his husband he would tell people not to do it, presumably if they were reaching for his beard, if his husband and I together could come up with a fun and friendly way to say that. Shouting, no, I do not like people touching my face, or of course tasing someone as they're reaching for your beard, neither funny nor friendly. So not the advice I could have given, given the parameters of the question that was put to me. And finally, Kate Siegel tweets, at Fake Dan Savage played my listener response call on the Savage Lovecast this week, which means I'm one step closer to my ultimate goal of being a guest on the podcast. Put me in, coach. All right, Kate Siegel, I played your listener response call. Now I've read your tweet. Kind of going to have to have you on the show, I suppose. Check those DMs 
Kate. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And thanks to everybody who posted about the show to your social media this week. We really appreciate how our listeners spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. Hey, just got through listening to the part about uh, Jim's beard. (laughs) There is actually a tactful lie you could employ here if you were comfortable with that. Basically, something along the lines of, it's a really nice beard, yeah? So something along the lines of, oh, you know, this takes a lot of, like, oils to get exactly right. And if you, like, touch it, you know, oils from the human hand, it can kind of mess that up. You could say something like that, and it would might get some strange looks, but it could work as, like, a gentle, don't touch my face, no sort of thing. But um, here's the question I have. Can we hear from Beard Jim? <laughs> I mean, if he's listening to this, I'd, I'd really love to hear from Beard Jim. Hi. For the guy who liked really wet pussy, I think if he finds a partner who is GGG, she can get empty pill capsules that are made of either like gelatin or some are vegan and fill it with a really thick lube and deposit it before sex. And then it will take some time for the capsule to dissolve. And then at some point during foreplay, a stream of lube will come out. This is for the caller in episode 328 that is getting numbness in her hand after using a vibrator. I'm a fisting top and sometimes will have numbness in my hand while I'm inside a fisting bottom. I reposition my body or arm to avoid the numbness, but I found when I'm inside my fisting bottom on all fours, or I guess on all threes, I use a rocking motion with my whole body to assist in the penetration so to avoid fatigue and can go longer without numbness. Yes, I do love Dan's advice that you might be just holding your vibrator in a weird, wonky way. Perhaps you could have something more sinister if it keeps happening. Maybe you grip a mouse all day for work in addition to texting and social media on your phone with the same hand. Then your one time off with a vibrator was finally the straw that broke the camel's back. Go find an OT or PT if it doesn't go away. I'm a physical therapist, and it makes my day to have a patient set up a sex goal rather than swing a golf club goal. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Minneapolis. The Hump 2022 Fall Tour is headed your way this weekend. You're up next. Kansas City, Victoria, Atlanta, and Los Angeles. We're also streaming Hump 2022 every weekend until October 16th. Go to humpfilmfest.com to grab tickets to a screening or a link for a streaming. And while you're there, click on Submit to find out how you can get your short, five minutes or less, amateur porn film flick into my film festival. The deadline for Hump 2023 submissions is December 9th, 2022. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Camilla Shenny on Twitter at Camilla, C-A-M-I-L-L-A underscore Chenny, spelled C-E-N-N-I. Also, follow the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth on Twitter at LoveCastTSARY. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you, as always, for downloading.